Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Well, happy Friday to you. You are watching the Sean Spicer Show. Welcome. We've had quite the week, haven't we? Uh, it's historic. And you got to be part of the show with us. We've had a great group of guests all week long breaking down everything that's going on in Washington. I mean, between Trump's trial, this gag order that the Trump uh, judge put on him up there, him kind of going out there and sitting through a couple of days of testimony, uh, and then doing these little pressers at the end, reading out what's happening, the judge trying to decide his fate, uh, him calling for the debates. I mean, that would have been enough, but no, <laughs> no, no, no. We saw history for the first time ever, a Speaker of the House uh, was ousted after a motion to vacate. Uh, and as I said earlier on the week, I mean, I don't know what I thought would happen to be blunt. Um, I, I kind of somehow thought McCarthy would scrape by. That's what Gates thought too, that he would have this team up of Democrats they'd sell out. And now we know that's not the case. The race to succeed him is well underway. Um, but when that vote occurred, there were eight Republicans who voted no. And there was one name that stood out to me. And I bet you it stood out to many of you. I mean, Gates and Rosendale from Montana, um, Bob Good of Virginia, those, those folks hadn't supported McCarthy. They were the holdouts. They voted present. They never really were with him. So it's no huge surprise. But the name that I thought jumped out at me, and I literally was like, there's no way, that's right, that's gotta have been a misvote, was Nancy Mace of South Carolina. Nancy Mace prides herself on not being a firebrand conservative on guns and abortion. She's looked for a, some pragmatic solution. Um, she is by no means, she, I, I think she likes the term moderate. But that name stood out. Why did she join with that other group of seven to oust Kevin McCarthy? Well, guess what? We're going to ask her. She is here with us today. She was actually on The View earlier this week. She goes everywhere. Never a lot of credit for some, for that. I mean, she's an articulate spokesperson. But what is, what is her agenda? What does she want to see going forward? And why did she do what she did? Well, we're going to ask her. We've got a great conversation. There's clearly a lot to cover because it has been an historic and a wild week. So let's get into it. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. All right, as I said, we're going to have a nice conversation here with Congresswoman Nancy Mace. She represents South Carolina's first district. She was in the South Carolina legislature before that. She actually primaried Lindsey Graham before that. She has graduated magna cum laude from the Citadel. Uh, she was the first woman to ever graduate. That takes a lot. Uh, and she's all over the airwaves. As I mentioned, um, she was on The View earlier this week. You see her on CNN, on Fox. Uh, 
she is afraid to go nowhere. Uh, but that vote that she took to oust Kevin McCarthy made me do a double take. And so let's have a conversation with Nancy Mace to find out why she voted the way she is, what she sees as the way forward, what concerns she had about where things were going, what she wants to see accomplished. So without further ado, Nancy Mace. All right, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, you are the woman of the hour. Good to see you. Good to see you too, as always, Sean. You know, when we set this it's up- interesting, It's an interesting time. It is it? an interesting right time. You know, we had talked about, uh, I really wanted to get you on the show because you've got such a great story. Uh, and I mm -hmm. want people to, to I want to talk about who you are as a person and what motivates you and all that kind of stuff. But obviously the <laughs> the moment uh, requires uh, some, uh, some to, we start with some things. So uh, it was funny. I was sitting, uh, we were doing the show uh, when the mm -hmm. vote for speaker goes off and they start reading the names. And, and there were obvious ones, Tim Burchett, Bob Good. Mm -hmm. And then someone says to me, Nancy Mace voted no. And I was like, no, 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 you've got that wrong. Like, there's no way. That's not, and, mm -hmm. and they literally were like, I'll show you the vote. And I was like, okay, you, you, you're reading the vote wrong. But I was like, there's no way. What? So walk us through, like, what was the, the reason that you, and, uh, that, that you jumped into that group? Yeah, no, we were the wild card. And when I made that vote, you could hear a very loud, audible gasp in the chamber. Somebody dropped an F-bomb on me. And that was the point where I said, you know what, I'm going to walk out of this room right now. Um, if, you know, for me, this wasn't about right versus left or ideology. This is about telling the truth and keeping your promises and keeping your word. And one of the things that we promised to do, the speaker, former speaker promised, was that we would have a budget. We would have 12 separate appropriate and spending bills. We put the power of spending back into the people's hands rather than a very small select few most powerful people in both chambers, the four most powerful people. And when that didn't happen and you couple that with other promises that were made, I work on a lot of different legislation and policies. Like don't make promises you can't keep because consensus building isn't telling one thing to conservatives, another to moderates, and then Democrats something else. Consensus is not promising everything to everyone all the time because that's just a lie. And we're, we've been put ourselves in this situation. We're at $33 trillion in debt. We have a $2 trillion deficit every year. And that horrible debt ceiling plan is going to get us to $50 trillion over the next 10 years or more if we keep doing what we're doing. And we just, we just can't do that anymore. And I remember 2008, you know, the, the, the market was crashing, the real estate market was crashing. And I was starting my own company. And I was a young mom. And I could not afford health insurance. And COBRA at the time was $1,500 a yeah. month for a family of four. And I, and I had no idea about politics or that I would ever be in office one day. And I remember watching all the speaker fights all the time, all of the spending, all of the lies to the American people, doing the continuing resolutions, doing the backroom deals, not keeping promises. And it would just, it would just make me so angry and so pissed off and I didn't like it. And, you know, Congress just thinks that because they have they have checks, that they have money and they, they, they're writing checks they cannot keep. It has to stop. And we have to have people who are willing to say no more. And that's what that's what this was about. At the end of the day, it was doing right by the people and not by the establishment in D.C. Like, I, I'm done with okay, that. OK, and, and I, I think. Most of what you said, actually, almost everything you said, most people would agree with. Let's, but, but what I want to get to, mm -hmm. let's just let me back it up for a second. When you cast that vote, had you made up your mind, or was this something that you, you know, uh, in the in the days before, kind of like what what led up to it? Because I think that's what was fascinating about it is that, like I said, I, mm -hmm. everybody, the five or six, seven people, um, 
you yeah. know, everybody knew. Were you, was this something that, that you woke up that day and said, I'm just sick of it? Or was it something that evolved over those, maybe the 48 or something? It evolved over time. And I was one of the, I voted for Kevin every single time in January. I said only Kevin in, in the speaker's vote originally. And I trusted his word. Right. I trusted that the plan that he had. And of course, none of that plan came to fruition. Zero of it came to fruition because he promised too many people too many things and then lied about it. You can't, he didn't keep his word. And all we have is our, vo our, our vote, our voice, and our word. And it didn't help that I was getting threatened by other members that they were going to withhold fundraising for me, um, including the former speaker. There, there, were, there were threats left and right being thrown around. I didn't like that. I don't feel like that is the ethical way to operate. All I have is my voice. So, and I, and I, I get that, but that's all I have is my word. And, and I get that. That's what I want to get to, though, is that did these mm -hmm. people know? Had you been saying, gosh, I'm not sure anymore about Kevin? Uh, like what? leading up to that, and that's what I'm just trying to get to, is your, sure. is your state of mind. Was this something that you were asking yeah. people and saying, guys, I, I'm having reservations? Or was it something that you had kind of made at the last moment? But w how did, I, I, I'm really just trying to get into your decision-making process. Thanks. Yeah, things went downhill about three weeks ago when I went to a member of staff at the speaker's office and I said, hey, we, you know, we're facing a shutdown, facing the end of the year none of the things that i had worked on had been moving at the time and because i because i had the nerve to ask about those things that staffer put their hands on me on the chamber got very combative and threatened me over defense appropriations because i had some things in the appropriations bill for defense and military I sit on the house armed services and from that moment on Things just went downhill from there. And I just said, you know what? I'm sick of this shit. Y you know, threatening people, being combative just because I'm trying to do my job um, to me was is, is ridiculous and is not the way that we should operate. There are not a lot of women in our conference. I happen to be a very strong woman and vocal. I don't talk to the party line. I do not fall in line. I want to do what's right for America. And sometimes that means going against the party. When Republicans do something I agree with, I'll support them. And when when they don't, I call them out. And that comes with consequences, Sean. And, and so I listened to that press conference that McCarthy had afterwards. He was asked yeah. specifically about you. He said that you were on The View uh, when he heard some of the comments that you were making about him. He called your mm -hmm. office and talked to your chief of staff and your chief of staff told him, hey, I've told Congresswoman Mace that you've upheld everything. Is that is that true? Is that not true? I didn't. I didn't hear the conversation. I don't know what what words were exchanged on the phone call. My chief, of course, told me um, that he had called. But my first question was, why is the former speaker calling my staff and not me directly? I mean, I was very public about my frustration and why. And and of course, everything that he and I, that the former speaker and I talked about, negotiated. I was very public about, and you know, we're 10 months into the year and, and zero had happened. So like, I'm not the one that kick, got kicked out of my position for not telling the truth and for not keeping my word. And I was very public. I wanted people to know when I made those deals, what the deals were, what the timelines were, what that looked like, because again, I trust, I trust very few people in politics. Like, it, you know, it's, um, it's a very low experience. <laughs> it's hard. As you know, Sean, you can't trust anybody and you right. certainly can't trust the establishment in DC. And so now people are trying to kick me off my committees, take away my gavel on oversight. Meanwhile, I've done an excellent job on the impeachment inquiry. I do an excellent job in the investigations, you know, all those things. I'm a strong voice for women and for that movement. And you want to take all that away because you're pissed about one vote that I voted over principle and over conscience. And I'm asking people to help me at nancymace.org and tell Washington how you really feel. We're so, done with it.
As the nation gears up for another election season, tune to the first TV for the best coverage on television. Get an exclusive inside look at the American political machine with Sean Spicer at 7. Unmatched analysis and historical perspective from Bill O'Reilly at 8. Then a bold, unapologetic take from Jesse Kelly at 9. It's must-see TV in primetime every night on the first TV. Watch the first on DirecTV Channel 347, Uverse Channel 1220, or DirecTV Stream. You know, it's funny. You talk about the establishment in D.C. How's it going over in mm -hmm. South Carolina? Well, I, I got home late last night and everyone that I've seen so far today and, I, and I've been out taking meetings have been saying thank you. Okay. And they recognize that the job is not easy. And I'm, I'm from a purple district. We marched to the beat of our own drum. I have more independent voters than I have Republicans and barely have more Republicans than I have Democrats. Last year, I was a D plus 10 last summer after Roe v. Wade was overturned. And and I got a lot of high fives, a lot of handshakes, a lot of thank yous from independent minded people that don't want me to go along just because I'm getting threatened. They want to know that I'm going to be there for the people and not for Washington. So, so how much do you think is Kevin McCarthy's fault about how, I mean, the, the questions that you raised about how the process works. I mean, I, what I'm trying to figure out is can the next person, we'll get to that in a second, can the next person actually make real change or is this institutionally broken? Well, it's it's not going to be easy to make the change. But if we say, hey, we're going to follow the law, there's a law from 1974 that says we're required to have a budget, we're required to have 12 separate spending bills. I believe it could have been done with the right leadership. I'm talking to every person that's throwing their hat in the ring. I met with Jim Jordan yesterday. I literally I had to cut off the phone call short, but I just talked with Kevin Hearn. I will talk with Steve Scalise also. It's not going to be easy, but we have to give it the God's honest try. We have to attempt to do that. Um, whether we end up with another CR or not, we have to go through the 12 appropriations bills, put the power of spending back into the people's hands, not the most powerful. And next year, when January comes back around, we have to do all of this a lot sooner. Yeah. The budget resolution in April, the spending bills in July, so that we put Schumer in the Senate between a rock and a hard place, that we force their hand to do this and follow the law. And that's good for everybody. But we can't have a speaker that makes promises to conservatives, makes promises to moderates, and says something else to Democrats. And here we had a guy that told conservatives, we are definitely impeaching Joe Biden. And then in the same day, two hours later, went over to moderates and told them, we're never going to impeach Joe Biden. I just want us to follow the evidence. I just want us to follow the truth, uh, tell the truth and keep our promises and not be all things to everyone all the time and do things that you know are physically impossible to do and not truthful. All right, well, that gets us to getting to 218. So that you just mentioned the three top candidates for speaker so far, Steve Scalise, the, the majority leader right now, um, Kevin Hearn, mm -hmm. who's the chairman of the Republican Study Committee from Oklahoma, and Jim Jordan, the chairman mm -hmm. of the Judiciary Committee. What are you asking of them? What do you want them? I mean, what is, what is it going to take for you to give them your vote? Well, uh, and, and I'm not trying to make any side deals. And I, and I just told Kevin Hearn, I told Jim Jordan this yesterday, I want a speaker who's going to tell the truth. I want someone who can be trusted. Who will but they're going to say words. yes to that, right? They're going to say, they Congresswoman, yeah, I'm going to give you my word. And, and and so, but but do you want, I know and that- then I want us to do the, the spending bills. We have yeah. to do that. That's got to be a part of it. And then the third thing is we can't take retribution out on the, on the eight that decided to vote their principles, vote their values, vote their conscience, because you can't get to speaker if you're going to um, punish those 
who kept their word and who who voted on principle because that's just not we're going to be in a very tenuous situation if that happens we need to come together and unite i'm actually very excited about the speaker's race because this is going to give us an opportunity to unite behind someone and i like all three of them i feel very good about all three of them i've never had a situation with any of the three of them where I felt let down based on our conversation, based on a promise they made, based on anything that they've said they would do. I don't have that same reservation as I had before. And I, I really feel like with any of them that we will be in good hands. So of the eight, as I said at the outset, you were not the one. <laughs> if I had to pick, if you named seven of those members off, I probably could have guessed them. Uh, if someone told me there's an eighth, you would not have been high on that list. Has, has the result of this vote um, sort of... Um, Put you like, are you communicating more with a Matt Gates or a Bob Good or a Tim Burchett? Like, uh, in other words, has this forced you all together, or is it just you were by yourself, you cast your vote, and then you're still the independent person you were? I am still very much independent, but I've also had conversations with members I never talked to before. I mean, it's no secret that Matt Gates and I have gone at it over the years. I mean, we didn't really ever talk. <laughs> and it just so happens we were on, uh, we had similar positions for similar reasons, although mine are slightly different because I tend to be a little more independent as well. But, you know, yesterday he and I did an interview together because we're on the same page here. I do believe in what he's fighting for is the truth and fighting for it things that are reasonable and responsible. It's not unreasonable to ask Congress to follow the law. Like we can't expect our fellow Americans to follow the law if Congress itself won't follow its own laws. And yeah. so I don't think that's an unreasonable thing at all. And he's not the bad guy here. And it's the establishment. It's, you know, the power structure. And you saw people walking off the floor in tears because we decentralized the most powerful people who thought that they had it all and controlled it all, well, they don't control it anymore. The people should control the process through their elected representatives. So you've you've posted some videos asking for people to give donations. You've mentioned your site. You talk about the establishment going after you, trying mm -hmm. to take away your power. They are. Who, who is that? Those are fellow members of Congress. So I just got a call from a reporter 20 minutes ago saying they're trying to take away my gavel. Well, who's they? That's what I want to understand. Is it because members of Congress, members that are that are angry uh, with me over my vote? They want to take a strong female voice out of the conference. They want to strip me of my committee assignments and they want to take away my gavel. And I say, you know what? I say, bring it on. And people can support me by going to nancymace.org. Are you going to give me a name? Give me one name. I, I'm not going to give names just yet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let the anger, we're going to let the dust settle. Yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, some of this might clear up next week, but honest to God, you know, Sean, I'm the first woman to graduate from the Citadel yeah. the Military College of South Carolina. I like a good fight. I want to get I'm not to, afraid. Yeah. And, and I'm going to pivot to that. You know what? I, I, I'm going to pivot. I want to hear about, because I, I do want to get to the personal side of this in a second, but yeah. Um, so for you, you, you mentioned your district, it's swing. Um, McCarthy, mm -hmm. Axios published a whole list of all the money that uh, McCarthy and his super PAC had given. You were actually at the top of that list, $30,000 that his super PAC has given you. Tim Burchette was at twenty five. dollars Andy Biggs. Are, are you worried, you, you know, obviously uh, a lot of people have come to help to maintain that district, uh, as they have a lot of districts. I'm not singling you out by any means. But are you concerned about, I mean, McCarthy, for all of his, uh, you know, whether you like him or hate him, was a fundraising powerhouse. Are you concerned mm -hmm. about that the next person might not be able to have the same political uh, oomph that McCarthy had? 
Well, certainly with our slim majority, money is going to be an issue. And that's why, you know, we shouldn't have this power vacuum. We should have a deep bench of people that have the fundraising apparatus that if something, if someone goes down, we just bring in the next person. I do feel confident about the apparatus that that Steve Scalise has and Jim Jordan have. They're both prolific fundraisers. I know less about Kevin Hearn, but I, after talking with him, I know that he's got the worth, work ethic and values and the ability and opportunity to have that same machine. And we have a lot of work to do. And I'll tell you, Sean, this has been one of the least productive sessions of Congress that we have had in years. And given that everything that is on the line with regards to next year, I mean, everything is on the line. We haven't done anything to help with inflation, to help with the, the immigration stem the tide of the illegal immigrants coming across the border, women's issues. We can't even talk about women's issues in the conference because, you know, that's a that's a sacred cow. You're not allowed to. But I will tell you, abortion will be on the ballot next year. It is an issue we have to address and talk about. And so if we don't get to work right now, we are definitely going to have major problems next year. But those problems were created long before this vote for speaker. We already knew that we were looking at the end of a barrel with what has gone on this year. So you brought up um, in, in one of your concerns about McCarthy, um, mm-hmm. women's issues. What do you mean yeah. by women's issues? And then secondly, you talked about abortion. How do you think the conference should handle this? Well, every time we have a vote to protect life, we should have a vote to protect women. Like we need to show women that we care and we're compassionate and we're not going to demonize them for a decision that we don't agree with. I'm a victim of rape. I was raped at the age of 16. I dropped out of high school. I was I was torn. I was traumatized for a solid year. And I will tell you the trauma of rape lasts a lifetime. It is not something that women can get over because they carry a lot of shame. And I know firsthand that when we demonize women for making a decision we disagree with, we are losing them and we're losing them at a significantly high rate. And they are 51% of the electorate. We cannot afford to lose women. I and agree. So we need, but that's, that's, yeah. yeah and I, 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 I mean, God, I, I cannot imagine what you've gone through personally and, and mm-hmm. having then the fortitude come out and talk about it. God bless you for that. But I guess the question I have is how I, and, and to your point, I, I agree with you. We've got to make sure politically, mm-hmm. but also I look at this more on principle. I think we should be doing the right thing. We should be protecting life. Uh, I, I'm a big supporter of adoption. I think that that should be on the table. But when you say we should do more, like for someone who's listening right now, what does do more mean in terms of well, what give me give us an example of the policies. That and you so think. an example, I actually you mentioned adoption. I have adoption bill for women, so women don't have to choose abortion. We can get them the legal services, a financial assistance, a prenatal care, post uh, post maternity care. You know all those things. I have a bill that would do that. We need to help with the foster care system. What do we do with the children who are born who are unwanted? We know that we have a terrible foster care system. The cost of child care has gone up exponentially. So how do we how do we repeal regulations to reduce the cost of childcare. Birth control is another one. I can't even get a vote uh, like like birth control. I have a, a, a bill that would cut red tape at the FDA to get get birth control approved faster for women. And we're talking about self-administered, safe, not controversial birth control. I have a bill on that. Um, I have a rape kit bill that Jim Jordan's judiciary passed out, um, I guess, a week or two ago unanimously that would help um, get the rape kits that are on shelves right now, over 100,000 nationally that have not been processed yet, but giving our, our state and local law enforcement the resources, encouragement, and incentives 
to process those rape kits, like all the things we can do to show women that we care. Well, at the same time, we're showing that we can also protect life. And so there has to be a balance there of protecting women and protecting life. And I don't think that's a lot to ask and it's not controversial or it shouldn't be. Um, you know, rape victims need a voice too. And I'm trying to be a strong voice for them in Congress. I, I want to, one more question on, on what's happening. And then I want to pivot to, to South Carolina and you. Mm-hmm. Um, by my count, when you guys come back on Wednesday uh, for what would be the first official vote, if we could actually settle this on Wednesday, we're down to 36 days since then till the next government shutdown. What do mm-hmm. you, do you think, what, what do you want to see happen in those 36 days? And do you think that's enough time? Well, we have to get the aid appropriations bills out. We have to rush the process. And I wish that we didn't hit pause and and adjourn this week. We could have been doing, we could have been doing another impeachment inquiry this week, a hearing. We could have done appropriations bills and hearings this week. Like the committee work can still continue when you don't have a, a permanent speaker. You can still work on all those things. I'm ready to roll up my sleeves and do that work. We got to get those aid spending bills out, get them onto Schumer's desk, and then have a plan B. And, and I think we can do that. We did four bills recently in a week, a span of a week or so. Let's get the other eight out over the next two weeks. And then work on, you know, how do we force Schumer's hand on the spending bills? How do we get it done? How do we avoid a CR? But the CR, I mean, that might be the only option on the table at the end of this thing. Hopefully it's not. But next year, when January comes around, we need to have a plan that we will follow and implement so we don't make the same mistakes and repeat the lies and the BS next year. Let's just do what we say we're going to do. And that's it. It's funny. I mean, everyone acts like September 30th comes up out of surprise. Like, you know, I I think back to like my high school years when it's like, really, the test is tomorrow. (laughs) Like it happens every year and everyone gets surprised. Um, And I think you're right. Like, I I think that, you know, for what it's worth, and whoever the candidates for speakers should put a plan out on this, that the idea that, that everyone's caught off guard by this, is nuts. I was the committee spokesman for the budget committee on the House. Like none of this is, it's all prescribed to you point in the Budget Act of 1974. It is something that everybody is aware of. And I think we can get ahead of it. I also think, frankly, that we're not doing a good job. I mean, we talk in very vague terms. We're like, let's have a 1% cut, which is meaningless to anybody out there. There are programs and there are mm-hmm. inefficiencies in government where we should be jamming the Democrats and saying this program was established in you know 1922 and it's outlived its usefulness. Force Democrats to vote on wasteful spending and, yeah. and, and outdated stuff. But one percent or one point six two five percent across it's, you can't, it's hard to understand. Right? No. Yeah. I don't one of the things like last year, Sean, last year we spent over a million dollars on a study injecting mice with alcohol to get them to like bend. That's good. That's a waste of alcohol. Do you agree? Well, I mean, at that price, I hope it was expensive tequila like Patron. I mean, like, was it, was it Patron? I don't, I don't know. We spent over uh, $2 million last year injecting beagle puppies, six month old beagle puppies with cocaine. We all know cocaine is a drug and it's bad. Why are we spending that kind of money? Killing we just need puppies. to get Hunter. You know what? I think if just not to get off topic, but I think if you got Hunter Biden aware of this, that you might get a, somebody on board. America is on trial. Join me, Josh Hammer, as we examine the presidential election through the only lens that truly matters. The legal proceedings of Donald Trump and the Biden crime family. This new daily podcast examines breaking news and analyzes the biggest questions facing the country. Can the former president, Donald Trump, get a fair trial? Can Trump be disqualified from the ballot? Can Joe Biden pardon his son, Hunter? Can Trump even pardon himself? We cover all the action every morning. Listen to America on Trial, wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Let let me get back to, I want to get 
just touch on something in South Carolina, and then I, I want to talk mm-hmm. about you. Um, you've got two candidates running for president from South Carolina, Nikki Haley and Tim Scott. Mm-hmm. Um, without, just here's my take on this. South Carolina's primary, I think, I, I don't think both of them will be in when it comes up. And I think if, if one of the two, whoever remains, um, is still in then, I think if they don't mm-hmm. win it, then it's over. Because the way I look at this is politically speaking, if you go into your home state, uh, now obviously uh, Governor Haley is out of office, but Tim Scott is still there, and don't do well, it's a political embarrassment. So where do you think this goes for the two of them? Yeah, I actually think they both end up on the ballot in South Carolina, um, and and that's obviously going to split the vote. They're both constituents of mine. I'm (laughs) friends with both of them. I love and respect both of them, and I think it's great to see South Carolina on the stage with both of those individuals. But I'll tell you, and you know this historically, Sean speaking, if you minus 2012 with Newt Gingrich's win in South Carolina, he he lost the nomination that year, but minus that one election year, historically or last several years and decades, if you win South Carolina, you will go on to win the nomination. That is historic. That's the precedent. The, the, that's the way that it's always been. So I believe that South Carolina will be the most important state. And I, it's like a winner take all. You win South Carolina, you're going to go on and win the rest of it. And so I think it's do or die when they get to our state. Yeah. But, and the, it's tough. The odds are stacked against them right now. But if they don't win, do you agree with me? I mean, my view is, if you can't win or maybe come a close second, you're done, right? And I, I say this, I mean, my view in Iowa is that if DeSantis and or Pence don't do well, they're, they're out. Christie's all in in New Hampshire. He's out if he doesn't do that. I just think you can't you can't claim that the people who know you the best, i.e. your governor of South Carolina, yeah. that if you don't 100%. do well, yeah. So, so yeah, that, 100%. Okay, yeah. But, but oh, that's why I think it's actually interesting. My view is, is that one of the two mm-hmm. of them says, hey, I'm not doing well enough. I don't want to get embarrassed. I'm getting out before I get, you know, the, the, the numbers will, but they will be what they will be going into South Carolina. But I just have a hard time believing yeah. both of them stay in uh, heading into that. And Trump's numbers keep going up. I mean, yeah. like, you know, they just they keep going up. And, you know, you sort of look at it. Why would someone go with the cover band when we get them? They get Metallica for free. Right? right. I mean, you know, so would you be comfortable if he's the nominee again? Are you comfortable with that? Well, it's up to the voters. It's not up to me. No, no, no. So but I'm just saying, I, I, let's do, no, no, but that's what I'm asking. The voters pick Donald Trump, right? It will, if he is the nominee, mm-hmm. are you, are you okay? Or will you vote for the nominee? I, I will be supporting the nominee. I think we'll be in the fight of our life and I, we have to unite. And right now he's up 10 points nationally over Joe Biden. Right. I mean, you know, so there, there's a path for winning the White House. I think we could win the White House lose the House of Representatives and fuck the Senate. I think that's a scenario, a realistic scenario next year. I, I, listen, I'm with you on this. The redistricting that's going to happen in Alabama and a couple mm-hmm. other states, New York. And even my district maybe too. I mean, like we're going to get, there's a Supreme Court case with my district lines next week. I mean, but this is where, I don't think people are, I, I, this is to me where the game really is. It's inside baseball. It's mm-hmm. these redistricting that's wiping out a majority and you're going in not with a four or five seat majority, but frankly, maybe even one seat down because of, of the redistricting. Yep. No, exactly. It's happening in New York also. And and then it might happen in our state, which is why I operate. I'm a very much an independent voice and I've always operated that way. So no matter what the district looks like, you know, voters will understand she's a man of her word and, and she's going to she's going to fight for us and, and march the beat of her own drum like we want her to. You know, you um, you are everywhere. You were on The View earlier this mm-hmm. week. You were on CNN mm-hmm. this week. What is your philosophy on, on on doing that? I mean, do you just sort of say, I'm going to take it to them? Because it's funny, when I worked on the Hill, we sort of put people in buckets. You had 
mm-hmm. people who are workhorses, people who are constituent service people, people who really were great messengers. What is it that you want to, what is it that you want to be? And why do you do the media that you do? I want to be all of the above. In fact, we have KPIs and metrics in our office. Oh like we have certain standards, like you got to call people back within 24 hours. They've got to get an email back within 24 hours. Like I am very much, I try to run my office like I, like I run a business, right? And I'm a businesswoman and we have a lot of KPIs, but also I think it's really important to communicate. The only venues that I have to communicate with audiences in South Carolina are the media, mainstream media, social media, online, the internet, web, et cetera. And I'm not afraid to take tough questions. I want people to know where I stand and why I stand. It's why I go on all the networks because I want people to know and hear that message and know exactly where I am at all times. And if I've moved on an issue, you'll see me make that move. Um, And I just want people to know and hear from from, from me and the office and what we're doing and where we stand and why we voted the way that we voted on any any number of votes. I think it's really important to be a good communicator with the people that you represent. And that's one only one of many avenues that we use to communicate with our constituents. Is there any um, show or host that you won't go on? Because I, I, look, my view on this, and I've, I've said it publicly, I get, mm-hmm. I, I, I am a big believer in taking our message places, be conservative principles, yeah. take it and, and, and be a, allow people to see the message. But there's also p- people and shows that I don't think are willing to have um, a, a discussion that is fruitful or civil. And there are shows where I just go, I don't see the point in doing that. What What is your mm-hmm. standard for what you accept as a, as an I, invitation? You know, I will talk, I'll talk to anybody who wants to talk to me. I haven't said, quite said, hey, I'll never go on that show. I know that it took a while for us to do the, get, get onto the view and do that. There were some people that said, no, you cannot go on the view. I brought a spoon and a knife. <laughs> so I was like, we can sit here and eat ice cream together as girls, or, you know, I can shank you. Like whatever, what, I wasn't really <laughs> sure how to, how to do that, right? Because you just never know. And I was like, we're gonna do this because I don't believe in talking to an echo chamber. I believe that somebody like you, someone's gotta hear that message. Yeah. And I wanna be a voice of reason for the party. And I want to be a voice for women. I want women to know that there are smart, articulate, thoughtful, pro-women conservatives in our party. And, and, you know, so to me, it's sort of baffling that I'm a unicorn when I just feel like I'm just a normal suburban mom, fiscally conservative, socially sensible. Why, why am I the one for these normal, reasonable positions making headlines? It doesn't really make sense to me because I feel like I'm just being yeah. a normal, good fiscal conservative. So let's get back to you for a second. Um, you mentioned the horrible mm-hmm. tragedy. Uh, I don't even know if the, that's an appropriate, I mean, what, what you suffered um, at an early age. Mm-hmm. And then you went on to fight to become the first woman at the Citadel. Mm-hmm. I, I got to be honest with you. I don't, I mean, to me, uh, and I'm not even going to try to find an analogy because I don't, I don't think it would, anything would be appropriate. But you, you go through this on a personal level. And Mm -hmm. then you say, I'm going to be the first woman to hang out with all these guys at the Citadel that's got quite the reputation Mm -hmm. for tough, whatever. What, what was the motivation for doing that? I mean, cause you're breaking the mold, but you had come from a background of having suffered something that, uh, you know, to your point, you live with for the rest of your life. And I'm not sure I'd want to put myself in that situation. Yeah, you live with a lot of shame and a lot of guilt and a lot of judgment. It's very hard to overcome. It took me 25 years to talk about what I had gone through publicly. I just, I could not do it without 
tearing up or being um, feeling all those emotions all over again. I'm a little bit older and wiser and a mom, and I felt it was really important for women to have those voices heard once I got elected. But the Citadel, for me, my dad was a graduate of the Citadel. He's the most decorated graduate they've ever had in their history. And I knew, for me, it was kind of like an F you to the world, where I had gone through this horrific thing. I didn't really know it at the time, and I'm older and I look back on it. But for me, it was my chip on my shoulder to prove to myself, and it wasn't to go to be the first woman to do anything. It was, I'm going to go to this really tough place. I'm going to go to this place where I'm going to be challenged like I've never been challenged before. I'm going to face adversity and an obstacle unlike anything I'd ever faced in my life, and I wouldn't quit. And I also got to, I got to you know, show myself that I could be successful no matter if the odds were against me. And I learned to be a fighter then. I learned to have courage. I learned to have confidence. I learned to stick up for myself. I learned to deal with the consequences of doing my duty, what I felt was my duty and doing the right thing, no matter the consequences. And that experience trained me for the challenges, the obstacles, and certainly the adversity that I am facing today. It was not easy to take that boat two nights ago. It took a lot of courage and a lot of confidence to follow through with, with my conscience and my principles and my values. And I am dealing with the consequences of that vote. Um, I, will, I will tell you, it's not been a very easy 24 hours, but, um, but the Citadel really trained me and prepared me for making these tough decisions and doing the right thing, no matter who is watching. So you mentioned your dad. He's this, the, mm -hmm. this, you know, tough guy that's the most decorated. What does he think mm -hmm. at that time about saying, hey, my daughter's about to upend years of tradition and history? Well, daddy didn't, didn't know why I wasn't speaking at the well. <laughs> I got a text in the middle of, of voting and my, my father was asked mom and she doesn't text, but he, she asked me, daddy wants to know why you're not speaking. <laughs> and, and so I was like, I'm, I am watching. I think the, the, the debate that was going on was going on just fine without me. And um, so it's interesting to hear from them and he gets excited. He sometimes, you yeah, know, like but, other but people, he's like, what, what I'm asking, uh, what I'm sorry, what I, what I was trying to ask is, you tell him at some point, you know, 16, 17 or whatever, or, you know, I want to go oh, to the yeah. Citadel. And he says, mm -hmm. I mean, this is a guy who is revered there. And yeah. he's like, oh my gosh, my daughter is now going to tip over the apple cart. And I'm, you know, is he, what, what is the response to, to 16 or 17 year old Nancy when, when you tell dad, hey, I want to follow in your footsteps and be the first woman to upend this? Oh, he did. He definitely did not want me to do it. He <laughs> thought that I wouldn't. He thought I, given my, my the fragile state that I was in, he didn't think I could make it. He thought I would quit 24 hours in and really encouraged me to rethink my decision. And I told my father all the reasons why I should go to the Citadel, why, why it would be a good environment for me to succeed. And I proved him wrong. And I loved that. It was great. But, but was he worried? And I'm not like, was he worried about like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm this like reputationally, I, I, I don't want to be the guy who, who uh, upsets, uh, upends all this tradition. Or was he more worried about you and how you would be treated? I think he was more worried about me and how I would be treated. Initially, his re his rejection of the idea was because of tradition. And then he finally came around when I did start my first day saying, well, tradition has changed. We're going to go along with the times. <laughs> but when he, when he dropped me off at school on the very first day at the Citadel, he didn't give me a hug. He didn't tell me he loved me. He shook my hand and he said, Nancy, don't call home if you want to quit. Just put on your shoes and start walking. 
And so like, I knew at that point I was on my own. He wasn't going to help. Uh, he was like, if you're going to do this, you have to do it on your own. You're not going to get any assistance from us. And so you walk, I mean, I, like I said, I can't imagine, I think anytime you walk into any environment where you're the, the mm -hmm. outlier. So what, mm -hmm. what's it like for you for that first little while? I mean, how did the men, you know, young guys are not nice people sometimes. Oh, it was a, it was really difficult experience. I think I finally cried on day five. I just broke down. It was a very emotional experience, but ironically, Sean, it wasn't necessarily the cadets. I mean, of course there were some cadets who were mean and difficult to deal with, but I learned it was the women. So like we would be off campus or it'd be like wives or girlfriends or moms. The worst harassment I got was from women. It wasn't from the men. And I, I, I first learned that this women on women violence that we have in this country, it's actually a real thing. And we tear each other down. We don't want each other to be successful. And I saw that firsthand. It was wild to see that reaction from other women. Interesting. So interestingly, mm -hmm. you go through all of this. What was it, most people go to the Citadel or to a military academy or to a maritime academy because they want to join the, the military. What was your thought afterwards about what you wanted to do and why not get into the military at that point? I had only been there for three years. I graduated from school in three years. I didn't have the ROTC credits. And, and ironically, it was my father who said, it's a different army. Uh, you know, back then, this was a 99-ish. If only it were today, it's a far different military today than it was even then. And I had taught myself to code. I love technology. I love business. And about a third of the students from the Citadel when they graduate, only a third go into active duty service, another third go to graduate school, and then another third go into the private sector, which is what I did. I was a, a computer programmer for a couple of years before starting my own company. So I've always had this kind of independent spirit, um, sort of vibe and, you know, enjoyed working for myself in those years and building a company. And so as you, you know, you're a mom now, um, mm -hmm. and, and what is it, I mean, is there anything, do, do you sort of, is this something that comes up a lot with, with your kids that they say, well, Hey mom, she broke this glass ceiling. She was a trailblazer. What is it that, that you're, you want to instill in your kids going forward? My kids are teenagers, they're 14 and 16, Sean, and they don't care. <laughs> I mean, they don't care uh, about like the history there, but I do think they're still kind of young. My oldest, I think, is finally understanding why mommy does what she does. I had I had the kids up, I, they come up to DC every year and, and they were here up in DC recently. And, and the kids both said they were on the floor and they were like, man, we want to do this one day. And I think they finally understand the the impact that I've had on history, the why I work so hard to help Americans who, who need it. And uh, they're finally coming around. It's still going to take a few years, probably in their 20s. <laughs> we can have a wise conversation about it, but they're, but they're also learning. I use this as a lot of, as an opportunity to teach my kids about values and their values are, they're even more conservative than I am. But <laughs> like, for example, after the UAP hearing that we had on oversight, that really got them excited. And they, they saw me trending on TikTok for the first time because they don't really care about what I do. But, but the, the UAP thing, they're really excited about. And when they had the first debate on Fox News, you know, all they wanted to see was a question from one of the hosts about UAPs. And it got asked that night. Right. Yeah. And so it's been really fun to have these ideological debates with them, talk about why we have oversight hearings and all the things. But they get their news and information from TikTok, uh, which is also 
if we want to talk to the kids and the future generation, we have to talk to them in all mediums. Uh, yeah, I will. That's one area where I'll tell you right now, I, that's my big sticking point. I'm sorry. I, I, I believe that, you know, we talk about taking principal stands. TikTok to me mm-hmm. is a tool of the Chinese government. Uh, but that, but I, I have one more thing I want to get to before this, which is what, what's next for you? Like you were in the South Carolina legislature here, you talk about the gavels. Mm-hmm. Is, is is the house where you want to be? Do you see yourself? I know you ran for the Senate before. Governor, what mm-hmm. what do you want to do next? I don't I don't have any plans, Sean. I've never had a plan. There's never been a strategy. I don't do things because, hey, this is gonna benefit me now or in the future. I love the house. It's the Wild West. I love serving South Carolina. I love delivering for the constituents I serve. And honest to God, I don't know what the future holds. And I'll be here for as long as the voters allow me to do it. All right. We um end with a quick rapid fire. We want to get to know you a little better. Are you ready? Yes. All right. When you travel, do you arrive early or just in time? Early. How low can you let your cell phone battery go? Oh, uh, 10%. Oh, see that. I, I, if you go below 50, I get worried. Um, how many, how many? Un- <laughs> I, I have a charger. I have a charging case. It has all the different chargers. It's with me 24 seven. Okay, I that's, get that's it. Yeah, I, I, I can't, I get nervous. Can, anyway, uh, if you, uh, how many unread emails do you currently have right now? 10,000. Okay, that's low. I'm at uh, 70 something thousand. Uh, I have 500 voicemails and 400 something texts, not unanswered. Well, I feel yeah. lucky now. I Now I feel like, well, if I'm getting a return text, that tells you that you're on the high end of the list. Um, if you, you had, very, yes. if you had 48 mm-hmm. hours to binge a show, what would it be? Oh, I want to watch 1923 next. Okay. I did Yellowstone in 1883. Is it, I think 1923 is the next series. All right, I'm still behind on, on Yellowstone. How clean do you keep your house? Very. What is your least favorite chore? Oh, gosh. Um, I would say sweeping. Oh, that's interesting. That's, just, that's a lot of work. Uh, see, I think I'll sweep all day long. I don't want to do laundry. Sweeping, I'll take it. I'll do. I'll trade you. <laughs> I don't want to do my kids' laundry. Okay. I stopped doing it. Like, smart. if you want clean clothes, go wash them yourself. <laughs> um, who is the coolest celebrity you've ever met? Dave Chappelle. If you could have a drink with anyone that you've never met before, living or dead, who would it be? Ooh, uh, Calvin Coolidge, probably. I think he would. He was like the accidental president and seemed like such a normal guy. Interesting. Okay. Biggest pet peeve. Oh, um, repeated questions from children who already got the answer the first time. <laughs> My children. I, mean, I, I knew where that else's. was going. I knew where that was going. Uh, <laughs> when you get the same question five times in a row, I'm like, okay, yeah. we're done here. <laughs> you just try to wear me down. What's something Nancy uh-huh. Mace won't go cheap on? Oh, um, Nancy Mace is very cheap. I don't like to spend money. I, don't I like know, but neither money. do I. I'm um, frugal. But there are certain things that I've learned are worth the money, you know, uh, what what's something you just you go okay we're doing it we're gonna do it right. I like to buy organic food. Okay, that's hey, that's especially where things are these days. I uh, last yeah, question last question for you. Um, I did a reality TV stand. I was on Dancing with the Stars. If you were forced forced to be on a reality television show, which one would uh-huh. you choose? It'd have to be a travel one. I think I could win any travel race. I like to travel, and I'm good at it. But would you want to do like amazing race where you're doing it or will you actually have to go? I mean, like, uh, like, I don't, I'm not even a big fan of amazing race, but I think that they, they 
they, they're actually on the go. So you want to be on the go? No, or do you want a race, to- like a race. Like I, I think I can go, I mean, I, I, some kind of a race, like, like amazing race. Like okay. I, you know. Mm-hmm. All right. Nancy Mace, thank you for all your time. I know how busy you are this week. I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Thank you, Sean. And it's nancymace.org for your, <laughs> for your listeners and viewers. All right. Thank you. All right. I thought that was an interesting conversation. Um, as I mentioned, I mean, look, eight of these folks voted no. Uh, to to or voted yay to vacate the chair, voted against McCarthy. And as the race continues, uh, how they vote is going to matter. Who they're with, who they line up with, how we get to 218. House is back next week. Um, on Tuesday, we have this forum or whatever, but this will be interesting. Um, how we get to 218, what concessions they have to make, if any, where we go and what what is there a renewed sense of commitment to getting things done, to securing the border, to cutting spending, to to doing all these things. Are there any side deals that have to get made? But we got our work cut out for it. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the week, we started this week with 45 days of a new runway to get the government funded. We've cut that already. And then we're going to go through the weekend and come back. Then we got to get a new speaker. I mean, they they, they got to get acclimated themselves. But But... We've lost eight days to get the work done to send bills to the Senate. Because remember, it's the House is just sending stuff to the Senate. Even if it gets these other bills done, the Senate then has to conference them, which they have shown no appetite to do. So there is a lot of work to be done. And as we head into the weekend, let's see how much happens over the weekend, how many phone calls get made, what concessions happen. Um, But... Anyway, I enjoyed uh, this conversation to further understand where things stand. Um, Thank you for everyone who's subscribing. I've mentioned this before. Please go to Apple Podcasts. It's the weekend. I mean, you got a few extra minutes, right? Go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and give us a five-star review. It really helps the growth of the show. I do appreciate and am humbled by everybody who has subscribed on YouTube and Rumble. Uh, Thanks for everyone who watches on the first every night at six o'clock. But that Apple Podcast and those YouTube numbers, help us a ton. So thank you. I know a lot of you watch on Rumble and I appreciate that as well. Uh, But those YouTube and Apple podcast numbers help. Have a great weekend. We'll see you back here with so much to break down as we go into this critical week. So enjoy your time. We'll see you back here on Monday on the Sean Spicer Show.